eight. I'll read verses 19 through to 36. And then I'll pray and I'll preach on verse 32. John 8, starting at verse 19. Then they said to him, Where is your father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have also known my father. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one laid hands on him, for his hour had not yet come. Then Jesus said to them, I am going away, and you will seek me, and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself? Because he says, Where I go, you cannot come. And he said to them, You are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Then they said to him, Who are you? And Jesus said to them, Just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you. But he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do the things that please him. As he spoke these things, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave of sin does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Amen. I'll pray and then we'll we'll begin. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you as a people in need. And Lord, we come to you tonight and ask that you will open our eyes and our hearts to see uh, the truth of your Son, the truth that you sent him uh, to uh, give to this world, um, the truth that alone will set free, Lord. And we just pray that you will have mercy on us tonight and that we may see this more uh, as we leave. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, I don't think it's a stretch to say that freedom and slavery is a key theme throughout history. We often look at history through a lens of the oppressed and the oppressors, whether it's economic slavery, religious oppression and persecution, uh, political enslavement or national enslavement, and many other types of slavery and oppression that you can think of. Even in our present culture, the idea of being oppressed uh, is a key thing. Uh, It has been the driver for significant social changes in our lifetime, like abortion and approving gay marriage. Uh, These changes were pushed uh, 
because there was a group that had been restricted or oppressed and they needed to be able to be free to make this choice, or so we were told. And this seemed to be a convincing argument. Many people were convinced. And so it made me think, what is it about slavery and oppression that troubles us so much? What is it within us that makes freedom such an important thing? Well, tonight, as we look at John 8 and more closely at verse 32, Jesus addresses these two topics. And from this, I'm hoping we will see the gospel view of freedom and slavery. But to begin with, we will look at slavery. And the first point I want to make is we must see our sin as slavery. Jesus' offer in verse 32 reads, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And this offer is only really attractive It only really means something to you if you see yourself as a slave. Like the way you only really feel the need for your house key when you are standing outside your locked front door. Freedom is only desirable when we realise we are in captivity. The religious Jews in the temple who Jesus was speaking to didn't think they needed freedom. Jesus came to the temple And was teaching and answering their questions as we read. And when in verse 32 he says that he has a truth that will set them free. At this they protested the idea that Jesus could offer them freedom. They were sons of Abraham. Their people were born into covenant with God. What freedom could Jesus offer them? Maybe Jesus could help the Samaritans or some other people, but not them. They didn't see themselves as a people in need. And before we even get to this idea of sin being slavery, I wanted to ask you how you come to church, or how you come to the Word of God. Do you come proudly, or as a person in need? Because throughout the Gospels, we see the Jews' pride constantly hindering their understanding of Jesus' message. And I don't think this is just strictly a Jewish problem or a Jewish way of thinking. While we probably don't don't take comfort in not being a Samaritan or a tax collector, we might take comfort in not being a criminal or not being a drug addict or not being a liberal woke activist. Perhaps we take comfort in our morals or our church attendance or our clean criminal record. Perhaps, maybe we just are happy we aren't as bad as our neighbour, or a relative, or so-and-so, a few pews behind us. But this type of thinking is at odds with Jesus' message. Jesus' message is attractive to a people in need, a people who realise they are slaves. Well, the obvious next question is, Why are we in need? How are we slaves? And luckily, Jesus goes on to explain this to the Jews. Look at verse 34 of chapter 8. Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits a sin is a slave of sin. 
And this is a very important point. We can tell this by the most assuredly. At the start of the chapter, the same group of people brought an adulterous woman to Jesus. And they wanted Jesus to judge her. And it was a test for Jesus. And Jesus' response was to ask the one without sin to cast the first stone. But no one did. See, the Jews knew they weren't sinless. They just thought they were better than others. But Jesus, here in verse 34, is cutting through this type of thinking. Jesus is telling them that comparing the severity of the symptoms was a waste of time. When we, were, when we were all suffering of the same disease with the same fate. Whoever sins is a slave to sin. Another way we can say it is, our sins aren't graded against the cohort like in school exams. The moral churchgoer and the atheist criminal equally need freeing from sin. Since Adam and Eve believed the lies of the devil, all mankind have followed. We are all born corrupted and in slavery to our sin. This is the state of every man, every woman, every Jew and Gentile. We are all in need of freedom. But the Jews had pride in their heritage. But what they should have known from their history was despite being God's people, and having so many blessings from God, they couldn't stop sinning. They couldn't help but turn away from God. And consequently, we see through the Old Testament, they went back into slavery. To the Babylonians, to the Persians, to the Syrians, and in Jesus' time, they were enslaved to the Romans. Their history shouldn't have made them proud. It should have highlighted their problem of sin. And our conscience should testify of a similar thing. When we look back over our lives, we should see people who are continuously returning to their sin, like a dog to vomit, who just can't help it. This idea of slavery is unpalatable to us. This is something that we don't like to think about. This is something that we don't want to come to terms to. Uh, this is something that, like the Jews, we don't want to admit, isn't it? And so the temptation is to suppress our conscience and to deny sin for what it really is. We like to say things like, I'm not really a bad-tempered person. Traffic just gets to me. Or, I'd be a much more loving husband if my wife was more respectful. Or I would bludge less at work, or I wouldn't bludge at all if my boss was better at his job. I'd obey my parents if they weren't such hypocrites. It's much easier to blame our circumstances or something else than to acknowledge our sin for what it really is. Because if we see our sin as slavery, then we have to admit that this is a problem we can't fix. We are stuck. And so, my first point tonight the first question I want you to ask yourself is, do you see your sin as slavery? Have you ever seen yourself as someone in desperate need of freedom? Because Jesus' claim tonight, Jesus' offer of freedom, 
is only really appealing to someone who sees themselves in desperate need of freedom. It's the, devil lie, it's the devil's lies that tell us it's someone else's problem but not ours. It's the devil's lies that tell us that sin is not really our problem, it's something else. But tonight, I want to remind you that sin is slavery. We must see our need because the hope of the gospel is freedom from slavery. And this brings us to our second point. Truth and freedom personified. Truth and freedom personified. Now, we understand what sin is. It should be clear that our definition of freedom can't come from Disney movies. Freedom is not the ability to follow our desires or a lack of restrictions on our cravings or even being able to truly express ourselves. That is slavery. So where can we find freedom? Is it even possible? If all mankind is stuck in this condition of slavery, who can possibly claim to have a remedy for it? Can Jesus really make this offer of freedom? And the funny thing is, this is the essence of the argument Jesus was having with the Jews. If you follow along the dialogue as we read, the Jews are constantly asking Jesus, Who are you? And how can you say these things? And, and who witnesses that you are legitimate in your claims? They continually question Jesus. And Jesus' response, responses are, and I've jotted down a few, as follows. Jesus said, He is the light of the world, verse 12. He doesn't make human judgments. Verse 15, he is from above. Verse 22, he is not of this world. Verse 23, God has sent him. Verse 20, 42, and that he is sin free. Verse 45. As you can imagine, these responses from Jesus didn't calm the Pharisees down very much. But what Jesus was saying about himself was absolutely critical. Jesus was claiming to be different. While all men are deceived by the lies of their father, the devil, Jesus said he has a truth from his father in heaven. Verse 26 and 28. While all who sin are in slavery to it, Jesus claimed that he is free from sin. Jesus was backing up his offer of freedom and he was making sure they knew he was not like any other man. Jesus was in fact sent as a divine intervention into mankind. And so it makes sense that not only can truth be found in Jesus, this is in fact the only place we can find truth. It is only by Jesus' words and abiding in them that we can know truth. And this seems to be another offensive element of the gospel, isn't it? We live in a world where you have your truth and I have mine. But this isn't what Jesus is saying. Jesus was saying that without him, we are all lost in lies. Jesus was claiming a monopoly on truth 
and freedom. No one else has the answers to these questions. As we saw last week, he alone has the words of eternal life. Jesus is truth and freedom personified. But Jesus did not only say that he holds truth or freedom, or even that he was truth or freedom. In our text, Jesus offers truth and freedom. Jesus says, For those who abide in his word, his disciples, they too shall know the truth, and the truth shall make them free. And the next thing I'd like to point out is that this is a comprehensive statement. Like car insurance, the comprehensive one is supposed to cover all your repairs when you make a claim. Just don't read the pages and pages of clauses and additional fees associated. But Jesus' offer here is of total freedom from sin. His disciples will be free. There is no additions, no clauses, no payments, no maximum payouts. Jesus offers a genuinely comprehensive freedom. And while our text doesn't give us all the details of Jesus' work that we do in other parts of the Bible, like how we can be free from the punishment of sin that he will take on the cross, or that we can be free from a guilty conscience that he will cleanse, or that we can be free from our father, the devil, as we are adopted into, the new, into a new family, free from our old nature as we are regenerated, free to obey and worship God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus does not go into these details, but he makes it clear that his truth will set men totally free. In verse 35 he says, The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. So, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. There is nothing more we need outside of Jesus Christ to be free. There is no more truth that we can know that Jesus does not reveal to us. In him, we have all truth and can be completely free. And so the last point I want to make is that we need to be aware of a partial gospel. Did you notice the changing temperament of the audience? Early in chapter 8, the Jews were questioning Jesus and wondering who he was. And after some back and forth, verse 30 tells us that many believed in him. And our text in verse 32 was specifically addressed to these people who believed. But after this, the attitude of the listeners changes. While initially it seems they appreciated some of Jesus' message, although they probably didn't understand a lot of it. As the gospel was pressed more upon them, they became defensive, claiming their Jewish heritage. Then they became argumentative. And eventually, they ended up accusing Jesus of being a demon-possessed Samaritan. In verse 48. We saw a similar thing last week. Many people came to Jesus and even wanted to make him a king. But not long after, many left confused and angry. This is a recurring response to the gospel. 
Many people come to God, come to church, come to hear the gospel for many different reasons. We saw earlier in the introduction that this world is full of slavery, oppression, hurt, and people who long for something else, people who long for freedom. And while the gospel may help in little ways to improve their lives here on earth, ultimately, Jesus offers freedom from slavery to sin. This is the core of Jesus' message. And so, I want you all tonight to be sure that this is why you come to Jesus. This is why you want to hear his words. And this is why you have hope in him. We must be sure that we are holding on to Jesus because of our slavery to sin. This is what Jesus is declaring here in John 8. But also, we must make it clear when we point others to Christ as well. It's not easy to tell people they are slaves to their sin. Particularly in this day and age, at the start I mentioned how this idea of oppression and freedom has been used as a motivator for social changes. The lies of the devil run so rich in our culture that many people believe their problem is that society does not accept their sin and does not approve of their sin. But Jesus' message is so radically different, isn't it? And this is the message we must proclaim to lost sinners. We must proclaim that sin is the problem. And sin is slavery. Even if it offends. Because those who are without Christ are hopeless slaves as we all once were. Lastly, I want you to be sure that you come to Jesus alone for freedom. Have you forsaken all your self-confidence? Are you holding on to some merit of your own? We can see from our text that self-confidence ends up in opposition to the gospel. Relying on some performance of your own does not agree with Jesus' message. Jesus offers a freedom truly and entirely without any more to add. And only if we abide in him will we be free. I'll pray. Dear